Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io. All right. What's up, Gromies? Welcome to Office Hours, your source for free cannabis cultivation education. My name is Keisha, and I am your moderator for episode 86. Welcome to the show. And here's how we do it. I'll keep an eye out for questions in the Hangouts chat. Feel free to drop them anytime. And if your question gets picked, we'll get right to it. We're also live on YouTube and Instagram. So same idea. If you're logging on over there, post your question. We'll do our best to cover it during the show. We got Jason in the studio today. Hi, Jason. How you doing? Are you recovered from MJ BizCon in Vegas last week? Yeah, absolutely. We had a great show. Uh, nice turnout. It's fun to have the uh, floor organized a little bit. And uh, first year we had a really big booth. Felt great to uh, be able to converse with clients and meet new people. Get some yeah. uh, get some product out there. That's right. For real. It was a very exciting week. And just a shout out to everybody that came by and, and talked to us. It was just such a good experience. So with that, you ready for our first question? Yeah, let's get going. Let's get right to it. All right. Nath wrote in asking, what are the differences between the new Terrace 1 substrate sensor and the Terrace 12? You want to break it down for us? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can just do a little screen share here with some documentation that we've got behind this thing. Uh, so if we just jump into Roya.io and check out the new Terrace 1, obviously now it's got uh, two prongs. The Terrace 12 had three prongs. Basically what's going on is we've developed a, a new uh, technology for measuring electrical conductivity and water content in uh, these substrates. So previously the Terrace 12 had been a capacitance based sensor and um, most of the sensors on the market are either capacitance based, resistance based or um, TDR, uh, time domain ref reflectometry. And in this case, the new Terrace 1 is complex dielectric measurement. And what this allows us to do is make really accurate measurements, even at extremely low water contents. So in application, really the biggest difference that we're going to see is if we're running really low water contents during our hard drive acts, say we're pushing under 25%, you know, lower, lower than 20% water content, we're going to see that the ECs are going to be much more accurate using the Terrace 1 than any sensor on the market. Um, yeah. Terrace 12 has been the golden standard of sensors for the last six years, five, six years. And now we've uh, had the time, the energy, and we've put the investment into a new patented technology, which is all incorporated into the Terrace 1. So if we take a look at basically what happens when we get the higher ECs um, and especially lower water contents, some of these sensors struggle to get exact measurements of EC specifically. And this chart here is just displaying, all right, here's some of the competitor sensors that um, that people have tried to intimidate or in uh, to, to try and copy the, the Terrace 12. Uh, obviously at different EC levels, there's a vast degree of accuracy. Terrace 12 here in the middle, a little bit better. And then now we can see here on the Terrace 1, um, all of these measurements are are very precise, very accurate. Fantastic. I dropped in the chat. We've got a white paper if you want to learn more about the science behind the Terrace One. And of course, I dropped a link to the webpage that Jason was just on. But yeah, please do explore. Hit us up with any questions you have. We're so excited to launch that. Jason, thank you so much for that overview. Yeah, right. absolutely. And, you know, for existing clients, uh, we've got a trade-in program, which uh, we're encouraging people to get upgraded. So, you know, turn your old equipment in and, and get some 
credit and a great price on the, the new stuff. Fantastic. Yep. Lots coming down the pipeline for Arroyo. So exciting stuff. Okay. We're going to get back into the Q&A aspect of the show. This first question came in just now on YouTube from Gil Next Door. They write, when's the best time to start foliar spray? Um, it depends. I mean, what you're applying in your foliar spray. So obviously if we're doing some type of uh, pesticide application in the foliar spray, we really never want to do it too late in flower. So maybe, you know, first two, three weeks in flower is the opportunity to, to spray anything. Um, I mean, that's going to give some time for residual to, to grow off, to, to dust off and, and no longer be in the product when it's processed as flower. Uh, some of the beneficial sprays that uh, we can put in a, a foliar, uh, you know, you can spray them throughout the cycle. Uh, typically, you know, it's not going to hurt anything to do foliar sprays as early as badge. Awesome. Gil, thanks for dropping that question. Let us know if you have any follow-ups, but with that, we're going to keep going. We got another question here on YouTube. This one came from Danny. They wrote, I just added CO2 tank, went from 600 to 1200, been running at 1000 PPFD, average 81, uh, I guess Fahrenheit F, 65% before CO2. Should I up my EC or only if I raise my light level? Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in pre previous episodes, we used to talk about the relationship between light and CO2 being one of the, the most important as far as balancing what our inputs are. Um, and so, if, you know, if we have the ability to be up in that, say, 1000 PPFD, um, you know, maybe 1100, if you're going really hard and you have things dialed in, you, you might even go a little bit higher than that. Uh, and and that'll be that'll be great. If you can get your CO2 at 1200, then lights it. 1000 uh, PPFD is going to be a great, great way to optimize crop growth. As far as, you know, taking an idea of, do you need to up your EC? Uh, the easiest way to answer that question is by doing some, some measurements. Um, if, obviously if you have an Arroyo system, super easy to look at your time series data and see that, Hey, maybe my EC isn't high enough and I'm losing uh, nutrient content throughout the day as the plants eating all that up. Um, and if you don't have a system like that, then make sure you are taking runoff measurements. Keep an idea if, uh, if you are getting enough nutrients in there. Kind of it's just as a baseline, and it is different for different nutrient manufacturers, and it is different for different um, cultivars, what the best feed's going to be. But usually when we're in HPS rooms in, in pretty good conditions, we'll be talking about 3.035 for our feed EC levels. And then typically for LEDs, we'll start in that 3.5 to 4 range. Thank you so much for that, Jason. Danny, thank you for your question. Again, yeah, if you have any follow-ups, definitely feel free to drop them on the chat over there. All right, I've got a couple of questions here from Mitchell. He submitted those a, a couple. Oh, <laughs> got a little comment here from Cypher. Love the Inspired by Sensor. You guys are very kind not to throw that sensor under the bus. I mean, they even borrowed from the terrorist name itself. Well, you know, you said it, we didn't. <laughs> thank you for noticing, Chris. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. This the couple questions came through from Mitchell a few weeks ago that we didn't get to. So I'm going to go ahead and ask those. They wrote in, I have a large veg space and two flower rooms. The way I'm doing it now is four plants per light, five gallon pots, hand feeding and cocoa perlite, six week veg. Would it be better to put 12 per light, one gallon, 21 day veg, or should I keep it at four per light and go down to a three gallon pot? I want, I want to find the best way to execute this. Thank you. 
Yeah. So, you know, if you are hand feeding, I mean, obviously you are going to end up probably wanting to be a little bit larger pot just because you don't have the option for doing a lot of irrigations throughout the day. Um, I mean, unless you're just, you're just with your plants and you don't have too many in order to do multiple feeds a day. Um, as far as the optimized, I mean, it's going to depend a little bit on, on your light. And it's one of the reasons that I always like to talk about, you know, plants per square foot as, as a metric that we use for attributing canopy density. Um, and then looking at light as an actual PPFD measurement. And, and really what it kind of comes down to is, all right, if we're trying to optimize how many are, how, what our planting density is, then we need to get an idea of how much light is across the board how much space do we have and how many plants can we run in there, right? Um, and so typically, you know, in a, in a five gallon, yeah, it's it's going to be a little bit trickier to root in. Um, throughout the cycle, you're going to have some struggles doing any of the crop steering stuff that we suggest. Uh, and so you might first give it a chance to go into those three gallons. Um, might give you a little bit better opportunity for some bulking later in the cycle. And, uh, and also, it's going to be a little bit faster to, to root in, get those plants happy, hungry, healthy, and and on their way to success as fast as possible. So if if I was you, you know, the, probably the first step I would do is, yeah, get into some three gallons, maybe not change any other variables, and, and then start thinking about investing in some automated drip irrigation systems. Um, you really don't have to spend that much in order to get into a reasonably decent drip system uh, make sure you you know you're getting some of the low flow emitters you point fives are great point threes are my favorite um and, and then you know you can still hand mix your batch tanks just get some type of uh, pump to to get things pressurized and if you're like a, a basement grow you can actually you know skip the valves and just use your pump direct to the, the drip emitters and have that pump activate when you want to run your irrigation systems uh, so that, that's where I would be if, if I was you is, all right, let's, let's see if we can optimize some of our root zone and, and then start optimizing some efficiency to give you a little bit better flexibility as far as what that planting density looks like in relationship to pot size and how much control you have over that plant morphology throughout the cycle. Amazing tips, Jason. Thank you so much for that. All right. And then Mitchell's second question, which we have, we talk about uh, optimal EC uh, levels. Um, you wrote, if I go above three EC, my plants always burn. How are you going as high as four or higher? Give me some insights. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing is when we, when we think about burning, typically with cannabis, it's a very tolerant plant for much higher uh, EC levels. Um, probably what's going on in your circumstance is there it might be a, some other limiting factor in there. So maybe you just don't have a very good environment for the plants. And so that's you're seeing some some nutrient imbalance that's showing as uh, what you're calling tip burn in this case. And so, so most of the time, you know, when we do see tip burn, unless we're at extremely high ECs, uh, usually that's going to be related to a nutrient imbalance, uh, an environmental um, issue, um, a light issue, maybe you're not doing any supplemental CO2. Uh, typically those, those are the types of things that'll represent themselves fairly quickly, um, and cause a nutrient imbalance versus it being the actual EC level that's causing that. And another thing that you might take a look at is, you know, what, uh, what's your nutrient manufacturer recommending? Um, 
and there's some other opportunities in there for you to to keep a check on things. So are you making sure that your runoff pH is always in check? Um, are you doing pH checks on your feed nutrients or your feed at the um, at the drippers themselves or at the, the end of the hand wand? Um, sometimes you'll just see some instability in those pHs. And then also, have you had a, a irrigation water test? So you know if you're on a well, make sure that you get that tested. Uh, if you're on city water, get it tested and try and understand, hey, do we need to make sure that we're treating this water for specific contaminants or chemicals in there? Uh, do we need to invest full RO system so that everything that's going into our water is uh, is a known quantity? Um, those are the places that I would start before I, I got too far into saying, hey, you know, I can't run higher ECs. Um, it's likely that you can modify something else that's going on in the system and then the plants will actually thrive when you're up in that three three oh plus range thank you so much for that jason and actually just a shout out to mitchell last week we had tyler simmons from front row ag on the show and there was a lot of discussion around nutrient imbalances um, and ec levels so do check out that episode if you hadn't if you hadn't yet um, but thank you for that answer jason all right we just got this question in from instagram they included a photo i'm gonna see if i can get the photo over to you but they write i'm having issues with my flowers having a long stem at the top of the flower with small buds on it and big buds alone let me see if i can share this photo from you from week 7.5 but um yeah any insights into like why someone would be experienced different sized um different stem lengths within the plant like that uh it could be due to some inconsistencies in, in how they're irrigating or other environmental factors that they're causing that, um, you know, making sure that light levels are up where they need to be. Uh, so, you know, a lot of times what's going on there is the plant is expressing its morphology, its shape um, based on some physiological response. So the phys physiology is, all right, what kind of chemical actions are going on inside of that plant? You know, what is that plant doing in response to um, what it's feeling, whether that be nutrients, irrigation, light, CO2, temperature humidity um and so typically one of those or multiple of those in combination are going to be responsible for the shape of it the morphology the, the size uh, bud structure that type of stuff uh, and so really kind of comes down to is is understanding hey did we maybe push too hard vegetatively and we're causing stem elongation um, we're not getting the node spacing that we want we're not getting our buds to stack up like we'd like and so it kind of comes down to analyzing, all right, is there one variable that is significantly off and that's just corresponding to it? Or did we just simply do some crop steering in one direction that was um, not well represented by the plant, you know? And there's certain strains that are just a little bit more susceptible to this type of, of actions. Um, I'm not sure it doesn't sound exactly like boxtailing that you're running into. Um, sounds a little bit more like possibly just running vegetative type of um, irrigations for too long or, or maybe not having enough light during a, a specific period in the growth cycle. Oh, all right. Looks like we got oh. it in the Google chat here. Oh, Thank yay. Good. All right. And I can pull it up for everybody, I do believe. Give me just a minute to 
open this up and share it on the... It's a fun new element. We, we usually don't share photos, but we love to receive them. So this will be fun. Live, live, TV, live uh, internet broadcast folks, bear with us. Um, oh. Yeah, this one, can, uh, can you all see it in there? Cool. Yeah. Um, this almost possibly looks like some hop latent virus. Um, <laughs> and I guess an easy way to tell would be, is, all right, are all the plants doing that in there? If all of them are, then there's a good chance that um, you might have an infection. If it's just one or two, um, definitely would be checking for a hop latent virus. And one, a hop latent virus, excuse me. Uh, one of the ways that I like to kind of do an easy check, and it's not like a sure, sure thing. I mean, the, the most sure, sure thing is get some samples in and test them. Um, but take some of the lower stems and just kind of break them, see if they're very brittle. Uh, a lot of times, uh, hop weight infected plant will just have extremely brittle stems. So thank you for that picture. Um, yeah, everything I said earlier is still applicable, but uh, that picture does give me uh, a lot better direction on um, probably would be checking for uh, hop weight in one of the first things if I saw that in the room. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Flow Farm, thank you so much for sharing the image. and. Yeah, hop latent virus is not the best news. We don't want to hear that too much, but good luck over there. Let us know if you have any more questions. All right, we're going to keep it moving here. So we got some more questions on YouTube. Dan dropped this one. They wrote, what should I do if my runoff pH is rising too much? I have a feeling my feed EC is too low. 3.3 under LED. Uh, he kind of answered his own question there. Um, if... Uh... If uh, you're seeing rising pH, typically has to do with some type of imbalance. And a lot of times what can happen is if we're just not feeding enough nutrients to the plant. It's eaten up all the um, specific elements and then you're seeing that pH rise. And then next time we feed, we may not be getting enough nutrition in there to rebalance the substrate. Uh, so yeah, definitely. I would probably see if you can get a little bit more runoff and see if you can push a little bit higher EC and, and that pH problem may go away. Those would be the first steps. Yeah. Um, uh, Danny actually responded to Dan and recommended calibrate pH meter, or you may have too much runoff. So yeah, I love that community. <laughs> All right. Um, next question. Golden child wants to know your opinion on different brands of calcium nitrate. I see $25 25-pound $25 bags for $30 for general ag and up to $120 from cannabis brand fertilizers. That's that lovely markup that happens in this industry. Is there anything different to justify the price? Usually no. Um I've, I, most most all of that's coming from uh just one or two manu nutrient manufacturers out there and a lot of people are just rebranding it. Um, they might have a little bit different processing techniques or putting some anti-caking agents in there. Um, you know, most of the time, you know, I'm looking at like a half, hafia. Um, sorry if I don't know the pronunciation on that, but that's that's probably one of the best ways to get as close to the source for uh, calcium nitrate as possible. Great tips. Thank you for that, Jason. All right. Just letting y'all know, we're going to be wrapping up the show just a little bit early in about the next 20 minutes. So if you have questions and you're with us live, now's the time to drop them in the chat. Carlos wrote in, running vegetative steering and have been just irrigating after reaching 30% field capacity without runoff. And plants look fine. Runoff hasn't been climbing much. Is that okay? 
Yeah, that's probably all right. There it is. Keep doing what you're doing, Carlos. <laughs> all right. Um, this is another question that we got some time ago, just hadn't gotten to it. Um, but somebody wrote in, they were, uh, I guess in the previous episode, we were talking about hypochlorous acid. This person uses Clearline and was wondering if they, if you had a, a rate recommended, maybe below the recommended rate on the label. I love using it at full strength, but it's kind of pricey. Got some suggestions there? Uh, I would use it at the recommended rate, um, simply because, you know, when we are injecting with hypochlorous acid, we're getting a, a few benefits. One would just be increased dissolved oxygen that's going into the system. And then the other is helping us keep our lines clean, keeping things from clogging up. Uh, yeah, what you might do is just see if you can find another supplier that, um, that has a similar product that, that you also enjoy that might be a little bit more cost effective. Great tips. Thank you so much for that. All right. I have one more question here that was submitted a while ago. So if you have questions, for us to live, we want to hear from you. Definitely make sure you drop those in the chat. Um, this person wrote in, have you guys ever had to deal with fusarium? Would you correlate that to overwatering? Yeah. So, you know, fusarium, um, a lot of times is related just to an unhealthy red zone. And typically, if, you know, we are, if we have too high of water content for too long in the substrate, a lot of times that just means that we're not doing regular irrigations we're not getting refreshment of oxygen and, and balanced nutrients into the substrate so yeah absolutely and you know typically or historically you see this a lot of times in larger substrates where you know maybe if we're in say seven gallon and we just don't have that big a plant yet we're we're not getting a lot of activity in water usage so you know if we're only seeing maybe two percent water content use in a day that's not going to be enough for us to exercise that red zone and get fresh nutrients, fresh oxygen in there. So, uh, you know, the simple answer to that question is yes. Fantastic. Jason, thank you for that. All right. Richard, drop this one in the chat, in the YouTube. If you're feeding 3.0 EC at 6.2 pH, what runoff EC and pH are you looking for? Um. I mean, I would usually just be seeing about the same as that. Hopefully, uh, you know, if you are feeding at 6.2, I'm hoping that you're in maybe slightly some type of more organic substrate. You know, we always recommend feeding things like uh, cocoa at around 5.8 and rock wool at around 5.6. Um, so, you know, we, we're trying to find absolutely no drift in, in pH from feed to runoff. Um, and as far as the EC goes, kind of just depends on what you're trying to do with that plant, right? If we're trying to get the EC to stack up to encourage some generative stacking, then we'll want to see that runoff be a little bit higher than our feed EC. Um, that's just going to encourage the fact that, hey, you know, we are feeding enough that the plant's not running out of nutrients um, and we're feeding enough that when we irrigate, we're, we're still seeing um, some residual salt concentration in that substrate. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jason. All right. We have Terp Total Farms on the chat right now. They have a question about the climate sensor actually as part of Arroyo Go. Um, the first is about, they wanted to know about mounting the climate sensor. Does it do PPFD as well? So we will need to adjust its height daily. That's the first question. Yeah. So the new climate station uh, called the Climate One, it does not have any light measurement systems on it. So we do still sell our uh, AppGS Q521 with the Roy system. 
that's you know by far one of the most accurate light sensors for under a thousand bucks that uh, that's available right now. I would absolutely encourage that you're using that sensor. As far as the the climate one and where it gets mounted, I usually like to have it within about a foot of the top of the canopy. So you still may want to raise it up um, throughout the cycle, you know, maybe two or three times, just to make sure you are getting an accurate measurement of what that that canopy is because obviously the canopy is affecting a lot of your airflow in the room um, and then also the plants are going to be transpiring so we're, we're trying to get the best localized measurement from that sensor as possible and that means that it's close to the plants fantastic all right thank you for that they've got a couple more roy go questions here the next is um looks like the antennas have two inputs can i add more or do i need another antenna for every zone and every two sensors the antennas have two inputs are you talking about the the nose antenna uh, the, oh the climate maybe the climate station I'm not sure. Yeah, the climate station really just, it only needs one antenna. Um, our substrate sensors really only need one antenna. So um, I, I don't know, as far as things that can use two, the substrate sensor, the nose itself or the doggle uh, can accept two substrate sensors. And so, yes, that that is an option as far as using multiple antennas. Um, I don't think so. I mean, you could get an antenna splitter off of Amazon or something and use as many antennas as you want. I don't know if it's going to make any improvements though. All right. Still on the, we're, we're going to keep talking about Arroyo Go a little bit here. So 60 days of data. Can I get more? I mean, I think I can answer that. You can with the full Arroyo system, then you get more than, you get historical data, but with Arroyo Go, it's 60 days worth of data. Um, Solus trading, what I'm, I, I will, post the page about the trade-ins um tur turtle and then um let's see and then to answer your question do we have all software that facilities have there is a different offering for arroyo go than there is for the full commercial arroyo system so for arroyo go like like i mentioned earlier it's just 60 days of data um, but i'm going to drop the trade-in information on here for you and then, uh, yeah, perfect. Um, we're going to keep moving. We've got some more questions to answer, Turk Turtle. But also, if you want to stick around after the show, let's talk in more detail, okay? Um, all right. We got another question here from Richard Song. Richard wrote in uh, earlier about feeding at 3.0 EC, 6.2 pH. So he wrote, if I'm feeding 3.0 EC and the runoff EC is lower, does it mean that I can feed more? Absolutely, yeah. If we're, we're seeing our... And I, I kind of just meant to say that at the end there, um, you know, if we're seeing that our runoff EC is lower than our feed EC, uh, that's an easy telltale sign that we are underfeeding. Uh, basically what's happening is that nutrients getting taken up by the plant. And when we're irrigating, if we're seeing a lower EC, that almost always means that, Hey, we're, we're going to be running out of some component in that nutrient. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we get things balanced and we recharge that, get that thing back up. Up there and it doesn't surprise me you know three three you see for most nutrient types and in most healthy growing conditions is is right there at the bare minimum and keisha it looks like we've got uh a few questions here about just arroyo go yeah and uh says you can add multiple sets of dual sensors can you elaborate yes so for the uh, arroyo go system um you can have up to 10 substrate sensors so that might be five sets of dual 
um, dual sensor noses and stuff in there. And then we've got, uh, need another node thing per zone. I mean, yes, node thing. So it, like I said, it's two, two dual sensors on a nose. So for the right ecosystem, let's say we've got, um, let's say I've got two fire rooms. Each of them have like, you know, two benches. Uh, I'd end up probably putting, um, you know, like four sensors across those two rooms, um, or four nodes across those two rooms, uh, like one, one node on each bench, you get me up to eight sensors across there. So it is absolutely expandable. Encourage people to, um, you know, buy more, more nodes to support their, their growth as detailed as possible for that array go system. But, you know, we are limiting it at 10 because we we're trying to encourage larger commercial facilities to, to get into the full Arroyo product. Arroyo uh, goes is 100% intended for home grows and for, um, you know, commercial grows that are a little bit shy on, on getting on board to get, to get their feet wet with the Arroyo system. Love it. We're already uh, slacking over here about we're going to have a whole episode of Office Hours dedicated to Arroyo when it ships. So more to come, but we are so thrilled that y'all are interested and please keep sending us your questions. Um, all right. I'm going to go back to some crop steering cultivation questions here. Golden Child dropped this one on YouTube. If I'm using hypochlorous acid from a Kangen filter, what rate would be good for direct injection into my drip lines along with my daily nutrients? Got some advice there, Jason? Uh, what do you call it? Kangen filter? Kangen. K-A-N-G-E-N. Guessing that's a brand? Uh, let's see if I can find it. Uh, I don't know exactly what a Kangen um, is, but uh, I would probably just try and inject at the same rate as any of the um, any of the commercial hyperchlorous acids recommend. That sounds like good advice. Okay, another hydrochloric acid question from Richard. Does hydro? I think. HOCL means hydrochloric acid. Does hydrochloric acid kill microbes and beneficial bacteria? Uh, yeah. Yep, it can. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those tricky things, though. Like, in, in, in a lot of the hydroponic systems that we're looking at, there's, there's not necessarily enough organics to support um, beneficial bacteria to survive very long. Um, and so it's one of those situations where you might have to decide, all right, uh, am I always injecting hyperchlorous acid? Um, so then using some of those beneficials, you know, it's probably just gonna be a waste of money. Um, you know, another situation might be maybe you're in, in cocoa and you're, you're trying to get at least some colony of beneficials to survive and, and you might lay off HCL or uh, hyperchlorous acid for a little while. All right. Golden Child came back. And clarified, yes, Kangen, they put out 11.5 pH base water and 2.5 pH hydrochlorous acid. Cool. I will have to check in more on that thing and, and take a look. It sounds like a neat machine. Oh, yeah. I even, yeah. One of my coworkers just dropped 
what is king and why i've got some stuff to learn as well amazing thank you for that all right yeah we're, we're also these episodes are learning experiences for us too so we appreciate y'all um that was actually the last question i got live today um so we're gonna we we're gonna wrap up early anything else you want to say real quick before we go jason uh it looks like we've got a question here on arroyo go accommodate open sprinkler yes ah, the yes. Uh, arroyo go system is going to allow for open sprinkler integration so um basically that's just going to allow you to set up your room irrigation schedule right from arroyo oh yes great yes i love it i'm glad people are asking these questions we also got one more question here um harold dropped this on youtube if I put two noses on a Terrace 12, would that be to read two different plants with the same meter? If so, is there a benefit to this over one nose per meter? I'm running a lot of sensors. It's a large facility. Yeah, you know, really the whole goal of uh, running two sensors per nose just to reduce the cost of the overall system. Um, so yeah, you're gonna have to run wires probably a little bit more, uh, but what's going on is you're only buying one um, nose or dongle and actually now that i'm reading through here Keisha, um yes. interpreter i'm guessing when he says it looks like the antenna he was talking about the nose itself the, the nose itself okay yeah. got and it and so to clarify for you interpreter uh it only does support two sensors per nose what you call an antenna here um wireless module dongle all kinds of names for that thing and so uh yes uh it only supports two sensors um and then I think someone else on here asked uh, if they can upgrade uh, their Arroyo Go system to a full full Arroyo system. That yes, you can absolutely. So if if you get purchased in and um, you know you're testing it out at your five thousand square foot facility, you like what you're getting, um, let us know. We get a sales call going. We'll get you quoted up for um, more hardware and, and just get that thing upgraded. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Jason. Awesome. I you know, I love the conversation around Arroyo Go. Uh, oh, so I need one per zone. Can I add two dongles to a go order? Uh, yes. We can, you can scale up and expand. All right. Sasha, actually, Sasha, if you can hang tight, let's talk about your situation, okay? Awesome. All right. We're going to wrap up a little early, y'all. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jason, so much for holding it down in studio and for our to our producer, Chris, for another great session. Thank you all for joining us for this week's Arroyo Office Hours. We do this every Thursday. And the best way to get answers from the experts is to join us live. To learn more about Arroyo, book a demo at arroyo.io. One of our experts will walk you through the ways the platform can help improve your cultivation production process. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to speed on all things Arroyo. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover on Office Hours, post questions anytime in the Arroyo app. Drop your questions in the chat or on our YouTube. Send us an email to sales at arroyo.io or DM us. We are on all the socials, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Social Club. Social Club. We definitely want to hear from you. We will send everyone in attendance a link to today's video and post it on the Arroyo YouTube channel. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share while you're there. Thank you so much, and we'll see you at the next session. Bye, everybody. Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io.